0: In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. Isn't it extraordinary just how different siblings can be? Out of the same family, raised in the very same household, you can have children whose only likeness is their physical appearance and their mannerisms. In the same family, you can have three brothers, one of whom is an artist, one who excels at sports, and one who has an ear for music. All completely different, but all from the same family. Even identical twins can be extraordinarily different, even though they share essentially the same DNA. In a set of identical twins, you can have one who's an outdoorsman and the other is a bookworm. One who's a night owl the other who gets up with the chickens. How is it the siblings from the same family can be so different? Well, our Lord once told a parable about two brothers from the same family, and these brothers reflect what is often true when it comes to birth order. That is, Jesus depicts the quintessential, dutiful first child who obediently follows the rules. And he also tells us about a laid back younger sibling who approaches life with a more easygoing and fun loving temperament. And while there are always exceptions to the rules, Jesus is using a pattern that many of us will recognize the straight and narrow firstborn, the life of the party younger sibling. Perhaps we've seen these two siblings in our own families. Perhaps we've seen them in the face that stares back at us in the mirror every morning. Well, Jesus tells this parable to teach us something very important about what God is like, what our hearts are like, and how our disposition toward God can keep us from receiving great blessings that God wants to give us. So let's open our hearts to this parable. And who knows? Maybe some of us here today will walk out of those doors with a lighter step and a more joyful heart, having laid aside some great burden by the power of God at work through this parable. But let's begin with the context, because it's essential to understanding what the parable is all about. Jesus has been spending a lot of time with sinners and tax collectors. He seems to have an affinity for them. And they likewise have an affinity for Jesus. They're drawn to him. But the religious leaders, they don't like this about Jesus. Back in verse 1, Luke reports to us that the scribes and Pharisees grumbled about it, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And while on the surface, the scribes and Pharisees looked down their noses at these sinners and considered them to be godless and unclean, you can't help but get the sense But there is an undercurrent of envy that serves as a kind of wellspring for their grumbling. Why is Jesus giving his time and attention to these sinners rather than giving it to us? If he were a true prophet, he would recognize that we are the godly ones. We are the ones who are following God's law. But Jesus isn't focused on them at all. He hardly gives the scribes and the Pharisees the time of day. No, he's giving his time and attention to the riffraff and the uncivilized, to the rebels and the undesirables, to the sinners and the tax collectors. And while these scribes and Pharisees criticize and dismiss Jesus publicly, the truth is, deep down in their hearts, it grates on them. It grates on them that Jesus doesn't give them the respect and attention that they feel that they deserve. Seeing Jesus eat with these sinners and tax collectors causes that little wellspring of envy to become a raging geyser, spewing up criticism, resentment, and contempt. If they can't have the respect and attention of this so called rabbi, then they sure aren't going to stand by and let these sinners and tax collectors receive the blessing of his love and attention. But Jesus knows what's on their hearts. And so he tells them a parable. Three parables, in fact, to try and help them see the heart of God, the one they claim to worship and serve, and to show them as well how far they have strayed from him and the grave danger that they are in as a result. Three parables to try and turn their hearts the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin. And the parable that we heard this morning, the parable of the prodigal son. Three parables to reveal one singular truth about the God of the universe. He's a God who loves to find lost things. Or more to the point, he is a God who loves to bring lost children home. There was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Those of you who have studied this parable, you probably already know that everyone who is listening to these words of Jesus probably heard them more in this way. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, I want your stuff. And the only thing standing between me and your stuff is you, so I wish you were dead. Now, some of us here this morning have children. But even if you don't have children, you can put yourself into the emotional place of what Jesus is saying here by imagining the person whom you love the most turning to you to say, I wish you were dead because I want your stuff. The pain of those words is excruciating. But no less shocking than the words of the son is the reaction of the father. Jesus' audience, living as they do in an honor-shame society, would have expected the parable to go on something like this. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, I wish you were dead because I want your stuff. And the father, to save the honor of his family, slapped his son across the face and in his mercy banished his son forever rather than striking him dead as he well deserved. That's what they would have expected. Now, we don't live in an honor-shame culture. But we need to understand this so as to understand the parable and to understand just how radical and strange the father was Right from the very beginning, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And the father divided his property between them. Hearing this, Jesus' audience would have likely begun to cross their arms in suspicion. Where is Jesus going with this strange parable about this bizarre father who would allow his son to shame his family with such disrespect? Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a faraway country just to underscore what a chump this son is. After telling his father, essentially, I wish you were dead because I want your stuff, the son stuck around for a few days just to rub it in before heading off to squander his inheritance. So he leaves, and he lives the life of a playboy, spending as if his resources were infinite, but they weren't. They ran out. He hits rock bottom, And it's a pretty low bottom. This once wealthy socialite hires himself out to some foreigners to feed their filthy pigs. Pigs. Which no Jewish person in their right mind would get anywhere near. Pigs. It would be like waking up one day broke and hopeless in South America and realizing that the only way to feed yourself would be to take up a job cleaning toilets at a South American truck stop where you couldn't even afford those hot dogs that had been cooking on the rollers for the better part of a week. That's what it would be like. The younger son hits bottom, and here at the bottom he starts to come to his senses. His eyes begin to open, and he begins to see his life for what it really is. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. This son begins to see his situation for what it really is. But he has not yet come to see what his father is really like. He wants out of his predicament but he assumes that his father will only be willing to take him back as a hired servant. He has no idea about the rushing torrent of love and generosity and mercy that flows out of the heart of his father. So he begins to work out his speech. You know how it is when you've got to have a tough conversation with someone and you start working it out in your mind ahead of time. If he says this, well, I'll say that. If he says this, I'll say. He's working on his little spiel. But all the while, his mouth is watering with the thought of the bread that he could get as one of his father's hired servants. He gets up with his plan established in his mind and he returns home. But while he's still a far way off from the house, his father sees him. And even though his son is still a long way from home, did you catch that? A long way from home. The father sees him as if he's been scanning the horizon each and every day, hoping for his son's return. And even though the father's eyes have been dimmed by age, he knows his son. All he needs is to see the outline of the person to know exactly who it is coming down the road. And this father, who has already shattered the mold of what a respectable first century Middle Eastern father should be like, he does something that's, well, quite frankly, it's a little bit embarrassing. He runs like some little child, like someone who has lost his mind. Like no self-respecting Middle Eastern man would do, he hikes up his tunic and he runs out to his son. He goes out and embraces him and kisses him. This very same son, whose last words to his father were, father, I want your stuff. I wish you were dead. This same son who put the household in jeopardy by dividing the property. This same son who brought shame on the family name by squandering his inheritance on prostitutes. The father in Jesus' parable, the father who represents God himself, he runs out and embraces his son. And when the son begins his whole spiel about becoming a hired hand, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, the father won't hear it. He puts a robe on him, like the robe that Jacob put on Joseph. He puts a ring on his finger, a ring that marks him out as a son. He puts sandals on his feet, shoes which no servant would be allowed to wear. And he kills the fatted calf, he throws a party, and he explains it all with words that were meant to go to the heart of the scribes and the Pharisees. Words that are intended to cut through their envy and their self-justification down into the core of their souls to teach them what God is like. The Father explains it all when He says, let us eat and celebrate for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Friends, are there any here today? Any who see yourselves in this younger son? Any who have squandered your inheritance. Any who can say, I have wasted my life. Any who could say, God could never take a person like me and forgive what I have done. Are there any younger siblings here today? Any younger siblings who need to hear and understand and embrace what Jesus is saying about the Father? Friends, if you have come here this morning with a burden of guilt, if you have come here today with doubts about what God will and will not forgive, if you come lacking faith that God can take a squandered life and make it whole again, then today is your day to set that burden free. If you will only turn homeward, simply make that turn with your heart toward God. It does not matter how far you have wandered from home if you will only turn back to him you will find him right there right behind you and this is the greeting that you will receive from the god and father of the universe let us eat and celebrate for this my son this my daughter was dead and is alive again was lost but now is found friends if if you come here today unsure of god's disposition toward you then open your heart to the truth of this parable and i assure you there will be a party thrown for you in heaven so do the angels a favor i suspect they're getting a little bored up there in heaven surrender to your life to god and let them have a party today Well, of course, this parable has not one son, but two sons. And while there were certainly prodigal sons and daughters, sinners and tax collectors who were there in the audience listening in as Jesus told the parable, they weren't the primary audience. No, Jesus is trying to reach the hearts of the elder sons, the scribes and Pharisees, those who had grown up in the Father's house, grown up learning the things of God, those who, if you will, were the church people of their day. Which is to say, they were a lot like many of us. And as Jesus began to tell us about the older son, we realize that this is a parable not about one lost son, but a parable about two lost sons. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Even from a a distance, this older brother has a suspicion that whatever is going on in the house is something that he doesn't want any part of. And more than just suspicious... He is capped and primed with envy and resentment. He's just looking for a reason to pull that trigger. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received him back safe and sound. You have to feel a little sorry for this servant. He is totally clueless. He doesn't realize that he's dealing with a man who has encased himself within a fortress of bitterness and resentment such that no joy is going to break through those walls. He was angry and refused to go in. But here comes that father again. That father who just loves to find lost things. That father who just loves to bring lost children home. His father came out and entreated him, begged him to come inside. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. In that moment, we realize just how lost the older son is. Not only does he deny having a brother, this son of yours, but we realize that he doesn't really have a relationship with the father either. These words which he spoke to his father, they are no less insulting or disrespectful than the words of the younger son at the very start of the parable. But what does the father do? Does he reprimand his son? Does he strike him on the face as would be expected of a father whose son spoke to him this way and in this culture? No. His father said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother, Yes, if I am your father, he is your brother. This your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And just like that, the parable is over. You and I, we don't like songs that fail to resolve at the end do 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 I heard somebody try to resolve it We don't like songs that fail to resolve and we want this parable to resolve but it doesn't Jesus just leaves the obvious question hanging out there in the open, unresolved and unanswered. What did the older son do? Did he come into his father's house and join the party? Did he apologize for his cold and resentful heart? Did he open himself up to the love of the father? What happened? The question just hangs out there. It hangs out there for the scribes and the Pharisees. For all elder brothers and elder sisters throughout all time. For all upstanding church folk in every age and every culture. The question hangs out there, beloved, for us to answer. Will the elder son recognize what's going on in his own heart and repent? Will he come to his senses and realize how far he is from the heart of the father? Will the older brother realize that though he appears upstanding and law-abiding on the outside, is completely and totally lost within? In the words of that great priest and author, Henry Nowen, what we learn from this parable is that the hardest conversion to go through is the conversion of the one who stayed home. Friends, while it may be that by God's grace, we have some younger sons, younger daughters here today who are ready to come home, and if that's the case, then hallelujah. But the truth is, in any given church on any given Sunday, it's far more likely that you'll find elder brothers, elder sisters who, though home, are still lost. And so Jesus invites us with this parable to look into our own hearts and see, Lord, am I carrying a burden of resentment and bitterness? Am I encased within a fortress of envy and self-reliance? Have I yet surrendered to your invitation? Or have I left you there standing at the door, begging me to come in? A parable of two desperately lost sons with an ending yet to be written. May God grant us the grace, whichever brother we might be, to come to our senses, to open our hearts to the Father, and come home. Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son, this, my daughter, was dead and is alive again, was lost but now is found.